Judging from the number of agencies that use it, facial recognition technology has gone mainstream in the federal government. The technology is getting faster and more accurate and has a growing number of use cases. We get the latest from the Director of Science, Technology Assessment and Analytics at the GAO, Candace Wright. Ms. Wright, good to have you back. Thank you for having me again, Tom. So this was a survey based more than kind of an audit investigation. And who did you ask about the use of facial recognition? Which agencies did you poll here? So, Tom, for this work, we looked at uh, 24 agencies, and these are the largest federal departments and agencies, and surveyed them to get a sense of their current use of the facial recognition technology in fiscal year 2020, but also looking ahead to um, planned future use in future years. And the majority of them use it in one way or another, correct? Yes, that's correct. So we found in the survey responses we got back from these agencies that 18 of the 24 agencies surveyed do currently use the technology or had been using it in some capacity during fiscal year 2020. And this included agencies like the Department of Homeland Security, Department of Defense, the Department of Health and Human Services as well, and a number of other agencies. And what are the use cases they're presenting here? So among the key takeaways that we took from the survey responses was that there are three primary uses. This includes digital access or cybersecurity, law enforcement, and physical security. On the digital access front, uh, what we found mostly is that agencies were using facial recognition technologies to unlock agency-provided uh, smartphones or tablets that are provided to employees to conduct their work for, the, um, for their agency. We also, you know, in thinking about this, you might sort of think of the facial image as a pattern password that is used to unlock the device. We also saw two agencies, the Social Security Administration and the General Services Administration, who were also using the technology to, uh, were testing the technology to provide access to people who are looking to use government websites. And so in this regard, these two agencies noted that they will continue to do testing to further determine if it will be rolled out publicly. Yeah, that's a big change because Mostly it's used internally or in the case of the public, the traveling public by Customs and Border Protection at the airport applications. But for, you know, purposes of government services or accessing things through government websites, it's still really not widely or at all used at this point, correct? That's what we found from what the agencies reported. But again, as I said, uh, Social Security Administration and the General Services Administration are testing the technology to determine uh, whether it can be used to verify the identity of an individual attempting to, let's say, apply for an account to access Social Security's public online services. And then there's the issue of physical security that five agencies reported. Yes, that's correct. And so in this regard, we found that agencies were using facial recognition technology for physical security in order to control access to a building or a facility or to determine if someone is you know, permitted to access the, the building or facility. And one of the things that we heard from agencies is that by using the technology in this way, it reduces the need for security guards, for example, at a building to memorize individuals' faces. So is the sense then, based on this survey relative to the prior one that you did, is this growing use of facial recognition? Well, we certainly have seen an increased use in the technology, not just in commercial sectors, but also government sectors. And so, you know, the survey that we did for this work was uh, one of the first where we really took a more comprehensive look to understand the extent to which it's being used, you know, because in the past we had limited, for example, the work to certain sectors, but this gave us a broader view across the federal government. We're speaking with Candace Wright. She is the Director for Science, Technology Assessment and Analytics at the Government Accountability 
Accountability Office. And what are some of the dangers or some of the cautions that agencies need to exercise in the use of this sometimes controversial technology? Well, certainly, you know, there are pros and cons and risks associated as well as benefits associated with anything new. And I think it will be important to continue to take a look at how agencies are using the technology, also to try to understand what might be some of the privacy implications. You know, are there safeguards in place to, you know, to help manage access to the information that's being collected? And that's actually some work that we're going to be starting very soon to look at some of those kinds of issues, what might be some of the redress procedures excuse me, as well as how agencies might be engaging with public stakeholders. And with respect to the experiments going on at GSA and Social Security, what do they envision as the means by which the FACE will be entered into the system should this come to pass? Are they looking just at the people's laptop computers with the built-in camera? So for this particular report, we did not assess the systems themselves and or its effectiveness. So I'm not able to elaborate on that other than just to note that they have these pilots underway to test the technology. And was this a report with recommendations or simply just a look-see for the benefit of Congress to keep tabs on something that some members have been watching closely? Certainly. So as, you know, the use of the technology has been growing, as I mentioned, both in commercial and government sectors, there was an interest in understanding its use across the agencies. We did not make recommendations in this particular report. Really, it was just an opportunity to take a comprehensive look and get a lay of the land. And uh, based on what we have, you know, identified or learned, I should say, through this work, you know, we may look at uh, conducting further studies to gain better insights. And having looked at this now for a while, uh, what's your sense of where this should be going, where it is going in the federal government? So based on what we learned in this most recent report, you know, we'll consider further studies to examine, for example, the extent to which agencies might be sharing data that they're obtaining by using these systems. So we might, you know, look at things around, you know, what is being shared, how often and with whom. Um, even just trying to understand what data are being collected and accessed and used by whom. Um, You know, there may be also a need to look at the legal authorities with regards to agencies' use of the technology, but also sharing the data. And then also maybe there's, you know, perhaps a need to uh, take a look at the controls and monitoring that are in place to prevent unauthorized access to data that is being, you know, generated by using this technology. So again, based on what we've learned in this report, you know, we'll take a look at Um, you know, where we may want to conduct some further studies. Could one of those studies also include the training data sets that are used for artificial intelligence algorithms that are applied to facial recognition? That certainly could be a possibility. I will note that GAO has done work um, in the past looking at the algorithms and and, uh, certainly other work on artificial intelligence. So, you know, again, we'll continue to sort of look at what we learned from this study relative to what we found in the past and then think about what the best path forward is is to understand agencies' use of the technologies and what the risks might be, as you know, in addition to the opportunities that it can present. Candace Wright is Director for Science, Technology Assessment, and Analytics at the Government Accountability Office. As always, thanks so much. My pleasure, Tom. Thanks again for having me. Find this interview and a link to her report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving 
our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and 
how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. 
Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.